All right. I know you all know what the topic is. So we are going to start in Genesis. I'm going to, this is going to be my intro. So I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Genesis, oh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you, Lord. I just ask that this would be um, just all you. Lord, I thank you for every woman that's here. Lord, I ask that you would um, let us learn what you want us to learn and hear and take it and give us um, just the ability to hear you speak and be pleasing to you, Father, in your name. Amen. Genesis 28, verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there were angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south, and in you and your seed and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob, Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. When I was a little girl, about age five, we moved to Norfolk, Virginia, and uh, I asked Jesus into my heart. Many years later, my dad said, you know, it doesn't actually say in the Bible to ask Jesus into your heart to be saved. And uh, later on, when I understood the full gospel, God incarnate as Jesus it was God in the flesh. He was sinless. He suffered. He was crucified. He died. He was buried three days. He rose from the dead, conquering death, allowing us to have forgiveness. He ascended to heaven, sits at the right hand of the throne of God, and he rules and reigns forever. It was then that I thought, you know, God, would you just forgive my sinful heart and my past and let me have a relationship with you? At that point, God's presence is there. He is with us, in us, and beside us. Sometimes it's very tangible, like a heavy mist. Other times, not so much as when my mind wanders and contemplates my own ways and my idea of how he should be seen, heard, and felt. Needless to say, I loved Jesus as a child, and I told and retold the Bible stories to my stuffed pig and the kids that stood at the bus stop with me, waiting for the bus to come. I remember being completely convinced that Jesus would still do miracles by healing a cut or a sickness or getting a certain Christmas or birthday present, never mind that my parents were hearing my prayers. And I definitely thought he would speak to me like he spoke to the boy Samuel. There was no doubt in my mind that Jesus was present, and as time went by, somehow I inadvertently began to think that his presence was there when I could feel something, like singing a praise song, definitely going to camp. I never missed a camp. Starting in fifth grade, I went to every summer camp and winter camp all the way through junior high, high school. And then, since I went to a Christian college, I went to fall retreat, which was just like a camp because it was very rickety cabins with a campfire outside. But the fact is, it is a promise that Jesus, who is God in person and the Holy Spirit, are very much occupying yours and my space. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This is a triumphant, risen, living Lord sending forth his ambassadors to proclaim his gospel throughout all the world. Go in victory. Make disciples. Convert others. Dipping and dunking in the name of the triune God. The closing promise is delivered to every generation of believers. Christ's promise of his presence. I am with you always. It guarantees victory because it's really God's mission being carried out by his called. The empowerment is to the church to evangelize to the world in every lifetime, even to the end of the church age. As a little girl, I felt like this verse was plastered all over my house, not in a physical form, but my dad worked for the Navigators for 20 years, and it was like their mission statement, their vision statement, and everything about them encompassed this verse. As a child, I remember my dad would put me in the back seat if he saw a hitchhiker, so he could put the hitchhiker in the front seat and witness to him. I remember having all of the Navy uh, men come over between 30, it felt like 50 men, shoved into our house. They sat cross-legged on the floor in our family room while my dad preached to them. And they would sing very boisterously. And I remember thinking how loud it was. I remember when my dad would go to a coffee shop. I, I must have tagged along a lot because he would take the, uh, whoever he was witnessing to, he would take the salt shaker, he, uh, sorry, the pepper shaker here, have the napkin, he would fold it a certain way, and as he gave the gospel, he would rip off a part of the napkin, rip off another part, and he would present the gospel, and the pepper was black like your sinful heart, and then it would open up, the napkin would open into a cross, and then he would, it would jog over, and then your sins were white like the salt. Uh, my dad was uh, part of the team that wrote the series Designed for Discipleship, which was very popular in the 70s and maybe into the 80s. When I was a child, sometimes I spent up to six weeks at a time at the castle in Glen Erie, which is in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And because back in those days there wasn't quite as many rules, I did run up and down all of the hallways, all of the carriage houses, the schoolhouse, the whole thing. I was the only kid there, and my dad would teach at conferences. So growing up, my childhood was filled with feelings that God was there. So we know that God is indeed with us, but we long for an understanding and a way to be fully aware that God is with us. On September 3rd, our pastor John Bell taught us in Luke 8. That morning, he urged us to stay the course when we go through trials and storms and disasters in our walk with the Lord. He reminded us that Jesus was with the disciples in the boat, and he was inclusive in the statement, let us cross to the other side. And that was verse 22. I don't know about you, but somehow in the mix of growing up, I subconsciously began to think that Jesus was only with me when I was obeying my parents, being good in school and answering the questions in Sunday school. I knew I was supposed to tell somebody about Jesus. At this point, we lived in Orange County, California, and I got my best friend, Sherry Brown, and I told her, I said, you know, you have to ask Jesus into your heart. You need to make him Lord of your life. And she was very shy about it. I remember she hid behind our Plymouth and uh, asked Jesus into her heart. And then I told her she had to go to church with us. And I was attending the Calvary Chapel Maranatha Christian Academy, but we were attending church at Mariners. And so she came with us to church. Later on, we moved to Banning, California. I was in sixth grade. And life got a little hard. It was more like just surviving junior high. We still attended church, but I lost sight of the evidence of divine. A famous verse on the subject of God's presence is Psalms 46, 10, and 11. Be still and know that I am God. 
The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. So I interpreted this to be still, be real quiet, and he's going to speak to you. I immediately get distracted, and I feel like I'm in 10th grade chemistry class. And I'm thinking, okay, I guess I don't have what other people have. But I'm going to look at Luke 10.38. I'm paraphrasing most of these. Now it happened as they, they being Jesus' disciples and others who traveled with them, as they went with him that they entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So despite the chatter of the home, despite the pots and pans, despite Martha's looks of disdain, despite the company coming in and eating a drink of water or their feet washed, somehow Mary could be still in the presence of Jesus as if it was God himself because no one had ever spoke like this before. This is kind of an aha moment for me. We can be still in the midst of chaos, and we can have an awareness of Jesus' presence. And he could be in her presence with a whole lot going on. Psalm 46, 1 says, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Well, what kind of trouble? Hmm. Well, we don't need to fear if a trouble means the earth is removed, the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with swelling. Martha was worried and troubled. But she did not recognize the Son of God in his supernatural presence. Regardless of this situation, God is abundantly available, vehemently, speedily, intent with exceeding diligence to come by our side with much force and magnitude to help us in tight places and disturbances. Whether you are at a chaotic dinner, in way over your head, have a child who acts like a scoundrel, financial crisis, a marriage that is driving you crazy, sickness that won't stop, death of a loved one, a job that only seems to bring you down. God is there and he is with you. So the key might be that we just need to be aware of his presence. So how do we sense God's presence? Well, if we turn away from what feels natural and seek the Lord and see him, and listen to him daily, then we become steadfast and fully aware of Jesus and full of the peace of his presence. And the question might be, do you have trouble concentrating? Like, is your mind all over the map? Are you thinking, I just, I can't seem to grab that word or that phrase. Hmm, that's not it. Do you ever realize that you're talking to somebody and you're not even listening? We're falling into a tendency to talk and not hear, and we need to practice the habit of enjoying and cherishing the presence of God. Last time I taught, um, I gave you a little excerpt from Spilled Hands by Mrs. J.H. Morton, and it is a biography of Mrs. A.M. Drennan. This is a missionary from the 1800s. She was a little bit older, and she was on her way to Japan. The author writes, She would not have been human had she not experienced a feeling of loneliness. The way seemed long and the work unknown, but in her helplessness, she looked to the never-failing source for comfort. Before retiring, she opened her Bible as usual to read, and in her attention was arrested by these words. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. It was indeed God speaking to his servant. The whole page seemed illuminated, but she only saw these words. She said, it is enough. I know he is here. And closing the book, she prepared to retire. She was ready for that rest and peace. 
The next morning, without any thought of the evening's experience, she opened her Bible for the morning lesson. And again, her heart almost stood still as she read the words her eyes first rested upon. I laid me down and I slept. I awakened for the Lord sustained me. It was as if the one dear friend were holding converse with her. After this, she never for one moment doubted God's presence and care or had one lonely feeling in all that journey. She knew that God was with her and was leading her and speaking to her through his word. So God is present. Actually, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at every time. Psalm 139 tells us God searches us. He knows us. He understands us. He comprehends us. He's acquainted with us. All that we do, all that we think, even before we know. He also stays in front of us, behind us, and puts his hand on us. He declares that we cannot flee from his presence. He will be with us in the heights and the lows in every dimension of creation. He is with us, leading us in light and in darkness, in the a.m. and the p.m. In fact, he formed us and knew us before we were skillfully fashioned. So there we have it. Our Lord is indeed everywhere at all times, but maybe the key is just to be aware of his presence, not just a three-minute song or a quick devotion. We need to put him first and be actively participating with him, to be intuitive about seeing him. If we aren't fixed on his presence, cohabitating together, how are we going to see his promises come to fruition? Isaiah 26.3 says, He will keep her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on me. Having a vice-like grip on Jesus, we lean, we hold fast, we prop ourselves up on him. I can say in my own life, if I have my devotion or I come to church on Sunday morning and then I go about my own thing, I can easily put myself first. And before long, I might whine, I might manipulate, demand, look for ways to be comfortable, maybe a little sassy, maybe worried, maybe distracted, and I might even hope that he's not quite that present. How can we live in the presence of God? How can we dwell with our Lord? How do we enjoy his presence? Psalm 91 says we must dwell in the secret place of the Most High. We get our eyes fixed on the Lord. Psalm 3120, you shall hide them in the secret place of your presence. This is a constant awareness of God's presence as our loving Father is present with us and he hides us like a treasure. So then we engage with him. We put ourselves there and dwell in the secret place. We just have our own time with him. We get stuck with him in the chambers of our heart and then we will never be the same. So we want to have a consciousness of God. It's kind of like if you have a pet and you can hear, you don't see him, he's not in the same room, but you can hear their nails cooking on the floor, their collar jingling. If you have a child, you can usually, even if they're not in the same room, you can hear them. And I like Tamar. I had a son when he was four, he had liked Legos too. And he would be upstairs and I could still hear him raking through the Legos. <laughs> and then it would get quiet while he attached it. And then he would rake again. And it was sort of kind of comforting as a mom because you knew exactly what he was doing. My daughter, on the other hand, was very quiet. She read a lot of books. My uh, mother and father-in-law have been married 65 years, and they have six kids, and they um, sometimes didn't always have a consciousness of those kids. So um, as you know, since I said it was my mother and father-in-law, my husband is Robert. Back then, he was Robbie. So it went like this, David, Danny, Robbie, Jimmy. And they were the first four. And then about seven years went by, maybe eight years, and then Tommy and Julie came along. So this one particular time, it was April 1st, and uh, my husband, Robbie at the time, um, was best friends with his younger brother, Jimmy. They were about 18 months apart, and they come barreling down the stairs and said, Mom, we want breakfast, and she says, Hey, I need you to go upstairs and check on Tommy. Now, at this time, Tommy was only one years old or so. 
So they went running back up the stairs, opened the door, and there was Tommy. He had managed to take the diaper off, grab everything that was semi-solid, a lovely color brown, and smear it all over the wall, the crib, the sheets, and himself. So Robbie and Jimmy went to the top of the stairs and yelled down, Mom, get up here quick. And she stood at the foot of those stairs and she went, April Fools. And she got to giggling. And when Rob's mom starts laughing, it's contagious. And they just put, and when my husband tells the story, he says they started running around the upstairs. They didn't know what to do. Their hands were on their heads and they're going, no, really? And then she said, April Fools. And when she laughs, and it got them laughing. So she didn't believe them because they're all laughing. So they finally get her up there and then she had the mess to clean up. So we do want to have a consciousness of our kids, but most certainly we want to have a consciousness of our Lord. And I am going to paraphrase from Streams in the Desert. This is uh, Samuel Dickey Gordon. And he says, so many do not realize the presence of God. Often we depend on moods, feelings, physical conditions, and the weather. Rain, thick fog outside, lack of sleep, and intense pain seem to affect people's moods. And vision is blurred. They do, not, do they not realize his presence? Better than realizing is recognizing his unseen presence. His presence is wonderful, quieting, soothing, calming, and warming. So recognize the presence of the master. He is here close to you, and his presence is real. We identify and acknowledge, and this helps us to become fully aware and understand clearly. Some, capital O, one, is present, and he is a warm-hearted friend and the all-powerful Lord. This is a truth for weeping hearts everywhere, no matter the reason for the tears. So here's what happened. I started making little notes, and I said, okay, let's see. In his presence, there is stronger intimacy, number one. And I got down to about 15, and I went, let's see. His presence, his presence, his presence. I got completely overwhelmed, so I ripped it all up, and I decided you're going to get the Costco sample. <laughs> okay, here we go. Whew. In his presence, there is stronger intimacy. In his presence, we are more obedient. In his presence, we sing songs for his mercy endures forever. In his presence, we worship more. In his presence, he directs our steps. We trust him in his presence. We put our decisions before him in his presence. We know his name because he is there in his presence. Prayer becomes a priority in his presence. We crave him more in his presence. We have joy that he's willing to help us in his presence. We look for ways not to lose sight of him in his presence. We have hope that will not disappoint. Darkness flees, for we have the light of life. We are surrounded by songs of deliverance in his presence. We have our life, we move, and our, we have our being in his presence. We have a sense of fear and awe of God in his presence. His spirit dwells in us because we are in his presence. My promise verse when I was writing this, the Lord is near to those who call upon him, to those who call upon him in truth. Psalm 145, 18. Interestingly, Jonah tried to flee God's presence. Jonah 1.3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So first he sunk low by getting in the boat. Then he sunk low by going to the bottom of the boat. Then they took him and threw him in the sea, so that was pretty low. Then he got swallowed by a big fish, so who knows how low he went. Guess what he discovered there? The presence of the Lord. Even the most righteous people sometimes don't sense God's presence. God called Job blameless, upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. God called Job his servant. Yet in Job 30, verse 20, he says, I cried out to you, but you do not answer me. We have times like this, even the most righteous. We need 
to develop the skill of savoring our Savior. We need to develop the skill to treasure his presence. Luke 2. In Luke 2, we see Mary. I feel like nothing was squandered on Mary. I'm going to paraphrase again. Joseph took Mary, who was with child, to the city of Bethlehem so they could be registered. And it was while they were there, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Now there were shepherds living in the fields, watching their flocks by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. The angel said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you a Savior, which, will, which is Christ the Lord, and you will find the babe in the city of David lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angelic host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And when the angels had gone away, they made haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And those who heard it marveled at the things told by the shepherds. But Mary, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Kept in the Greek is suntereho, to keep closely together, mentally remember, keep, observe, preserve, keep in mind. Pondered is sumbalo, to make, encounter, to meet with, to throw or bring together, to bring to one's mind. When was the last time? You just kept Jesus closely enough to preserve your time with him. When was the last time you encountered him and kept the meeting in your mind when you just cherished the moment? So we need to develop the skill of inviting our Emmanuel. Luke 2, 27, so they took the child called Jesus to the temple to offer a sacrifice. And Simeon, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Marveled is thumezo, to wonder, admire, marvel, have admiration, to be wondered at. Have you just stopped in God's presence in complete marvel and wonder? Luke 2.41, his parents took the boy Jesus to the feast of the Passover, who was, which was the custom. And when they finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind. And they did not find him, but they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. After three days, they found him in the temple, listening and asking questions of the teachers. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers, amazed. Mary said, Son, why have you done this to us? We have sought you anxiously. And Jesus said, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? They went back to Nazareth, but his mother... Mary kept all these things in her heart. In the ESV, his mother Mary treasured all these things in her heart. This word is diat reho, to watch, observe, to watch strictly, to keep continually, carefully. Are we continually keeping them in our sight? When my daughter was reading a lot around fourth grade, one of the um, series of books that she read was called Cam... Jansen. And Cam Jansen was a detective. And I imagine this little girl was somewhere between the ages of 10 and 12. And so you'd have the case of the missing backpack, the case of the missing lunchbox. And when she would find a clue, she would take the invisible camera like this, and she would blink her eyes and snap the invisible camera, and she'd go blink. And then she would remember in her mind the clue. And then she could solve the mystery because she could bring all the clues back. You see where I'm going with this. All right. I brought a prop. <laughs> when uh, we all graduated from college, um, 
my brother-in-law, Dan, he went to Arizona, and then Robert, my, uh, then he was my boyfriend. He went to Arizona. Okay, he went to, so Dan went to Arizona and got a job. Then Rob went to Arizona and got a job. Then I went to Arizona and got a job. We were all living in Arizona. And uh, my husband lived in, uh, back, now he was Rob. No longer Robbie, but now he was Rob. And he lived in the bachelor dump. So he had three roommates, and they lived in Tempe, Arizona. We affectionately called it the bachelor dump. And I lived in an apartment in Mesa, Arizona with my roommate, Elaine, who could have been a twin sister to uh, Donna Reed. So um, this one particular time, Rob said to me, he says, um, I'd like to take you somewhere new. It's a restaurant on a lake. And I said, OK, that sounds nice, because that was popular in Arizona. They dig lakes and do that kind of thing. So he was desperately trying to have his roommates help him with this plan, and they were all very unorganized. And so he was trying to buy time. So he showed up at my apartment with these yellow, bright yellow, high-top Converse on, and I was very upset about the matter. I said, I'm not going out to dinner with you wearing those. So we stopped off at the bachelor dump so he could get some different shoes. And then we went, and he drove to this. It was indeed a lake or a small pond, and it did indeed have like tables, and there was sort of like a business complex, but it was dark out. And there was a rowboat pulled on the shore, and this lantern, which we thought, Rob told me that his brother Dan had welded this in high school. And um, this was hanging from the stern of the boat. It's, uh, there was a candle in it, and now it's still there, and it's a glob. And um, so this was hanging from the stern of the boat. And he started to row the boat across this lake. And he got halfway across, and he said, hey, there's a, a a two-liter Coke bottle floating in the water. That's just littering. You should get that out. I said, I'm not going to touch that water. And he said, I said, I think it's attached anyway. And he says, oh, I'll get it. So he pulls it in. He just here. And I go, why are you handing this to me? He says, there's something in it. And I said, I don't want to touch this. I'm like, he just open it. I open it, and there's a note, and it said, will you marry me? Aww. So he got down on one knee in the boat, and he said, would you spend the rest of your life with me? And I was supposed to say yes, but I was so caught off guard with the whole thing. And I just was like, um, I, yeah, yeah. And so he goes real loud, because this was supposed to signal the roommates on the other side. He goes, she said yes. And he had bought fireworks. And they were supposed to light the fireworks off. Well, they were bachelors, and they forgot the fireworks. So what I heard was, with their mouths going, pew, pew, he rode to the other side, and one of the roommates pretended to be or acted like a maitre d'. One was the waiter, and the other one was the chef, and made us a nice meal. So this is my, this is my, when I see this, I call to remembrance uh, something that was very special to me. All right. Luke 24, 13. After Jesus' death and resurrection, we come to the scene where two men were traveling to a village called Emmaus, which is seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked and reasoned and conversed about all that had happened. So it was that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained. So they did not know him, and Jesus asked them what kind of conversation they were having and why they were sad. And Cleopas answered, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things that have happened? Jesus said, What things? And they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and people. But he was condemned to death and crucified. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. 
Yes, certain women arrived at the tomb and astonished us. They did not find his body, but they came saying that they saw visions of angels who said he was alive. Others went to the tomb, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets of and all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And he expounded by beginning with Moses and the prophets and all the scriptures concerning himself. Then they came to the village, and Jesus was about to leave. But they said, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. So he stayed with them. And it came to pass, as they sat at the table, and he sat with them, that he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they knew him. Opened is dianoigo, to open thoroughly, literally, figuratively, to draw out, open the eyes and ears, to cause understanding, to open the soul, to rouse desire, to learn. They knew him, epikonosko, to know, recognize, be fully acquainted, and to perceive. So their eyes were opened, and they recognized him and the manifestation of his divine presence. And I'm sure every time they walked by that table, they had their own memory locked away in here. 2 Kings 6, 14 through 18, the king of Syria was making war against Israel. Therefore, the king of Syria sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And the servant of the man of God, which was Elisha, he arose early and went out. And there was an army surrounding the city with the horses and chariots. And a servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? For he answered, Do not fear. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of the Lord's horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Open is pakwa, open figuratively to observe, open the eyes and ears to open and remove rubbish. The young man could see beyond what he could see before. Ra'ah is saw, to see, approve, behold, consider, discern, gaze, and enjoy the experience. So we want to develop the skill of savoring our Lord, to treasure him. We approach the word of God like there is nothing else on it like, like, like it on earth. We want to grab onto Jesus with the eyes of our understanding opened to be within inches of the time we get to see him face-to-face, -face, tangibly, in real life form. There is so much going on around us, things that distract and cause trouble. But Jesus is a present help. And we want our eyes opened, for perhaps there is a whole squadron of angelic soldiers surrounding us. Is there anything more important than mindfully being aware that the Lord is in this place? And how awesome is this place? Right here in his presence. Heavenly Father, I come before you, and I thank you that you are present. We gladly give our hearts and our minds and our souls to you right now, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would just be so in awe of your presence in our small time, in our group time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for each and every woman that's here tonight. Thank you, Jesus, for being present in our lives. In your name, amen. Thank you, Val. Wow, what a teaching. I was just processing it all and just in awe. Um, so much to take in. As Val was sharing on... Um, Mary, she said, Mary treasured these things in her heart. That word was treasured. And um, right before I left, I, that stuck out to me a lot, Val, because right before I left, I was um, taking some time today 
to work on the conclusion section of our homework. So if you did it, you probably were blessed just alongside me, reflecting on all the things you've taken away from this study. And uh, I just kept thinking the entire time, like what a treasure this study has been to me. And I was telling Kim about it before I got here. And I was thinking about if you've ever read the book of um, The Count of Monte Cristo from Alexander Dumas, there's like a big part of the story is that uh, the Count discovers the treasure of Sparta. And when they get there, they say like there's 16 more boatloads of treasures more than we could ever spend in our entire life and how much greater the word of God. So as I was meditating on this entire study, I was thinking about the treasure of God's word alongside you. So I'm going to give you a very brief review of uh, Val's study, but I'm going to go backward and do a conclusion of all of our studies. I won't take long. I'll just take like two minutes if that's okay. So, um, so I'll start with tonight's lesson, lesson six. Um, Val said, God is with us, inside us, and beside us the moment we give our life to him. I love that. Um, she asked us the question, do I equate God's presence with a feeling or do I stand on this promise that I am with you always? Great exhortation. Um, I only got a few of the Costco samples. <laughs> um, in his presence, there's intimacy. Um, prayer is a priority. Darkness flees and we are in fear and awe of God. So those were some really good Costco samples. Thank you. <laughs> um, and we are to stop in God's presence in marvel and wonder. And I loved the exhortation that we need to develop this, the skill and desire to savor his presence. So thank you, Val. I'm going to work backward. In lesson five, last week, Kim taught us that our promise begins when we are called by God. So when we receive him and start walking with him, we already have these promises, right, um, to live out. Um, and all we can ask in our lives is to ask God what he wants us to do, right? Um, so uh, in lesson four, uh, we learned that uh, we are to believe God's promise over the promises of culture or lack of promises. Um, we aren't to overweight, uh, otherwise we'll miss the thing that God has for us. And the Holy Spirit always works in fresh ways. So be open to the work of the Holy Spirit in fresh ways. Um, back to lesson three, Val also taught us the importance. I love this. I've been thinking about it a lot of sacrifice and surrender, right? And God's grace when we only do one of the two. But we should couple those together, right? To make the sacrifice God is calling us to do and to surrender in that process. Um, in lesson two, we are to encourage others through the promise of God. So many believers and unbelievers need to know the promises of God, but as believers to be reminded, encouraged in the promises of God. And that takes us to lesson one where Kim told us that we have over 3,000 promises from God. And we are to pray these promises back to God Right, And I loved her exhortation that whenever you see it in the Bible, underline a promise from God. So with that, um, let's get into our group time. My group will be over here, Kim's group back there, Val's group over there, back there, and then Jill's group is over here. Yay! Yay.